The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Our Father, we have sang some prayers, really, a lot, of, a lot of different things to you, just about our relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that so many of these prayers would just become a reality in our lives and our walk with you throughout the week. And now, Lord, as we look at one of these cries of, a heart, of the heart from David that today, I pray that you would strengthen us, build our relationship with you, Lord. I pray through this time, teach us. Please, Spirit, minister um, beyond, of course, my, my ability to do so, I pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. And thank you, folks. I, was, I wasn't quite as excited as Pastor Josh, but I was excited to worship. He was downright delirious, downright spitless there in Seattle. Okay, um, let's see what do we got. Psalm 10 is where we're going today. I'm going to have a hard time getting away from the Psalms. I kind of thought, you know, there's 150 of them, so if we do one a week, we're going to be here for a few years, so we won't do that. Uh, but I'm having such a good time. I keep finding, yeah, I want to go to that Psalm. Uh, you know, I want to look at that. I've been, I've been really looking at that. And then a couple weeks ago, I said that we'd do a Psalm of Lament this week, and then last week I said we wouldn't. But then I got going on Psalm 10, and I thought, yeah, I really think that's what we have for this week. So we're going to look at Psalm 10. Ask me the significance of the palm tree. Absolutely nothing. I just thought, we need a palm tree there today. Uh, we just need to look at that. Does it make you feel any better or warmer or anything like that? Uh, so the first couple slides have a palm tree, but then I took them out because I didn't want you daydreaming the whole time about sitting underneath a palm tree. I want you to pay a little bit of attention. But we are going to look at this, a psalm of lament uh, in just a moment here. Uh, now, before we do that, though, just a, just a quick uh, il illustration, if I could. Um, you have probably experienced this. You've seen this. Um, this is a very sad situation, uh, or at least you've heard about it. But sometimes as people get older, uh, they get real old, and they begin to lose it upstairs, they revert to their childhood. Uh, some of you, I'm sure, have witnessed that with loved ones or whatever like that. Um, that actually happened. It doesn't always happen, but it happened very strong with both of my parents. Both of them uh, would talk to you like a little child sometimes. And so if it's hereditary, <laughs> pray for my wife in the future. It could be, uh, it could be a really, really rough time coming. Uh, but, uh, you know, as I witnessed that with, with both uh, of my parents, one incident really stands out in my mind. A few years ago on Easter, uh, we were having some folks over after church on Easter for Easter dinner, and uh, we, uh, we, we asked my mom to come over, and she said, no, I don't want to be there with people I don't know. And uh, she was kind of, you know, you know, I ain't coming uh, like that. So we said, okay, mom, I'll tell you what, here's what we'll do. When everybody leaves, we'll pack, we'll fix up a plate and we'll bring it over and then we'll have Easter with you. So we'll be over about three o'clock. She said, no, I don't want you to. And we, we, we kind of learned with mom. We just had to say, we're coming, <laughs> you know, we'll be there. Uh, so we're bringing a plate. So we show up uh, at about three o'clock on Easter afternoon and mysteriously the door to her apartment is unlocked. Mom locked everything. So the fact that it was unlocked was really pretty weird. I knocked and nobody answered and I could kind of hear something. So I opened the door and I heard mom saying, help, help. And uh, so we went in, my wife and I, my daughter and my son-in-law, we went in and mom was lying in on the bathroom floor. And uh, you say, well, that's terrible. And it is, that's very sad. But the whole door unlocked 
thing was kind of mysterious. And then when we got in there, we saw that mom on the bathroom floor also had a couple of pillows with her. Uh, uh, not saying mom was faking, but uh, I do think she kind of wanted a little bit of attention. Her nose was a little out of joint about us not getting together for Easter, and I think she wanted a little attention. So we went in there, and uh, she's on the floor, and my, my daughter is an athletic trainer. She tr- trained in helping people who fall and help them get up. And my son-in-law is pretty, pretty strong, uh, and we said, okay, mom, well, we'll get you up. And we started to try. She said, no. She said, I want the fire department. Now, that's because firemen are so handsome and wonderful. I'm sure that's why she wanted them to come. We have our firemen back here. Uh, but uh, she was like, no, call the fire department. And we said, Mom, and we kept trying to talk her into it. Mom, we can, we can help you. Jeanette knows how to move you so you don't get hurt, and we can help you up. And we kept doing that. And finally, and I still have this. This is the vision I have of my mom sitting there on the bathroom floor. I don't want to. Uh, and what did we do? We called the fire department eventually. And they, they came and looked at us like, uh, you can't call the fire department for this. But couldn't get mom off the floor. That was the only thing we could do. But I still see mom sitting there going, don't want to. I don't want to. There are times, I think, in all of our lives where we kind of revert to that a little bit. I just don't want to. Sometimes in our spiritual lives, there's some things we think I ought to do this. Probably ought to get myself to church, but I don't want to. I probably ought to get read my Bible, but I don't want to. I ought to pray, but I don't want to. And I think if we look at Psalm 10 today in detail, what we can see is how to deal with those times when we just don't want to pray. So that's what we're going to dig into as we look at that. Say goodbye to the palm trees. You ready? Bye-bye. They're out of here. This is verse number one of Psalm 10. The, The psalmist begins with these words, Why, O Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now just take that in for a second. Why, God, I could really use you right now. Where are you? Why are you far off right now? Uh, I don't understand. I mean, this is, this is time. If ever I needed you, God, and I don't really sense your presence, I don't really think you're here, um, can I <laughs> get a little nod of agreement that uh, most of us have been here at one time or another? Where we thought, man, God, this is a time when I could really use you, but I don't really sense your presence right now. I don't, uh, you know, I don't see where you are. And, and, and this, the truth of the matter is the wicked just seem to be winning. They seem to be taken over. You seem to be far away. And uh, the psalmist here, David just lays it out. And, and uh, kind of like he was having lunch with a friend, a close friend that he could actually just share his heart with. And he just, he just spills it. Now, I want to point out in this, and we're going to come back to this idea, but he says, when he says, O Lord, remember that all capital Lord, that means he's saying, you're God, okay? So it's not really audacious, he's not really practicing audacity, he's not saying like, stink God, you don't know what you're doing. He's not, he's not saying that, but what he's saying is, is, I know you're God, but I don't really get it. I'm having a hard time here right now. I don't see you. I don't feel you. I'm I'm really struggling with this. So there's incredible honesty in his conversation. I don't think there's audacity. I don't think there's a challenge to God. Like, God, you've really messed up here. You don't know what you're doing. You have no business letting me alone. You owe me better than this. When the Psalms, a song we were singing today, you know, uh, uh, Jennifer uh, led, I think, the one where she just said, God, I know you don't owe me. Jesus, I don't know. I just came to be with you. I think the psalmist, he's not saying, God, you owe me better than this. But what he's saying is, I don't get it, okay? I'm having a real hard time here. Now, for the next nine verses of the psalm, he goes through and he talks about the wicked. He gives some description of the wicked. In other words, he's just venting. Um, 
And, uh, and he just kind of goes through and he says, hey, they really seem to be prospering, okay? And I, and I don't get it. I don't understand why the wicked are winning. I, I, don't, I don't completely understand that. But again, he's just sharing this. Uh, I used to uh, have a regular prayer meeting with somebody, and whenever he prayed, he drove me crazy. Now, you're not supposed to be sitting there grading other people's prayers, but you know I'm a pretty shallow person. Uh, and every time he'd pray, uh, he'd like tell God like the whole story of everything going on. God, you know, I got up early this morning, and I wasn't feeling all Okay, well, God already knows that. Stop telling him everything, but he described the whole situation. And I was kind of critical of him doing that. I thought, why is he doing that? God already knows. But that's exactly what David does here. He's kind of telling him the whole situation here. The wicked seem to be prospering. So the next nine verses, rather than reading through them, we're going to jump around a little bit because in here there is a profile laid out of the wicked. And it's worth us, you know, they took the time in Scripture to go through it. So we're going to go through it for a minute here. this is, uh, let's see, i got to remember what verses I'm looking at here. Uh, this is verses 2 through 4 of the psalm. He said, In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. They let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. God, would you let them be caught in their own schemes? For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy of pain curses and renounces God. In the, in the pride of his face... The wicked does not seek God. All his thoughts are, there is no God. We can come back to that phrase a couple times here. But in the pride of his face, and he says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. The first characteristic that we see of the wicked, the first uh, thing that fits the profile is pride. Okay, the wicked are known for their pride. Uh, the wicked are saying, hey, I got this. I don't need God. I don't think there is a God. Uh, and then they're also in that last verse, they're looking at saying, hey, I shall not be moved. I'm not going to change. Do we see that at all in our world today? People who have a little bit of a hard time actually acknowledging that they've done anything wrong. I want you to imagine with me for a second. And uh, again, I'll be an equal opportunity offender here. Uh, but the, uh, imagine a presidential debate. Okay, one guy over here, we'll just make up his name, we'll say his name is Joe, the other guy over here, his name is Donald. Uh, And imagine, if you can, imagine that one of these guys would actually stand there and say, hey, you know what, you're right, I was wrong. I got that wrong in this. Can you imagine either one of those guys? I mean, they're just like, my plan will change the world. My plan has done this. My plan has created more jobs than ever. You know, my plan is stuff like that. Can you imagine any humility in that? And we see a world that is filled with pride. Well, the psalmist looked and saw a world that was filled with pride. Uh, Let's see. uh, Then he goes on. And in verse number three, he says, For the wicked boast of the desires of his soul, and and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. His mouth, uh, this is verse number seven in there, his mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. Now, the second characteristic of the wicked I'm putting up there is a foul mouth. Now, I don't really think the main point of this is somebody who uses vulgarity or uses profanity. I don't recommend that real highly. I don't think that is a great way to communicate. Uh, But at the same time, I think the Bible talks about a foul mouth, somebody who's speaking deceitfulness, somebody who is lying. Lying, uh, somebody who's hurting other people, oppressive type language, that type of thing. But it says this is another characteristic that we see in the world. You know, those that uh, 
do we ever wonder who we can believe? We were talking about that last night. Who can you believe today? Our world is filled uh, with uh, you know, deception and lying. Let's go on find another characteristic. And the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. We see another theme in here. Another verse, he says, he lurks in ambush like a lion in the thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws uh, him into his him into his net we have a third characteristic here the wicked that comes out in a couple places is greed or that he is greedy that describe our world a little bit today describe what we see a lot of times people that are just hey it's never enough we're going to get more and more money we see that being the driving factor in so many things you know the phrase that you hear all the time is follow the money but that's why you find out why people do what they want to do and usually uh, why they do the evil is because of greed also in these verses uh describing the wicked he sits in an ambush in the villages in hiding places he murders the innocent his eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in the thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. The helpless are crushed, uh, sink down, and fall by his might. A fourth characteristic we could ha have is violence. But you see the list we're building of the wicked activity here, pride, a foul mouth, or this evil speech, uh, greed, and violence. And then... The pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. He does not seek God. All his thoughts, all his thoughts are there is no God. He says in his heart, I think this is verse number 11, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. I want to come back to those last two verses in a second here, but let's just finish the profile here. Okay, the profile of the wicked. Can we agree that, uh, first of all, this wickedness that he faced didn't go away? Would you, would you agree with me? It, it's still around. Uh, and um, a, a guy by the name of uh, John Calvin, some of you have heard of, uh, said this. He says, it tends to greatly lighten the grief when we realize that the church of God has not experienced anything new. What he's saying is wickedness is not a new phenomenon. It's always been here. Now, I don't know if I agree with Calvin that it makes it a lot lighter, but it does help a little bit just to know we're not facing anything new. This world has a wickedness in it, okay? Man's default setting is antagonism towards God because of sinfulness, and we are going to continue to experience the wickedness of this world. I'm sorry. I wish I could tell you differently, okay? Uh, there's a message on our answering machine this morning. Somebody is calling up asking if they can use the church for uh, Miss Blossom Time pageant. Uh, which they've used in the past, you know, local thing. And I don't mean to mock that if you're involved in that, but every time I hear of a beauty pageant, I think of a line. I think it's in from a Sandra Bullock movie. Uh, and, uh, and, and all the contestants are standing there going, saying, and we're promoting world peace. <laughs> and we're going to fight for world peace. That's what they're going to do. That's their line. And I always think about that because I, I, don't, I don't mean to be real nasty, but you can fight for it and you can work for it and you can hope for it and you pray for it, but you ain't going to get it. I'll be real honest with you. It's not going to come until Jesus establishes that peace. He's not, not going to get it. And, uh, you know, we have this hope that everything is going to get better. If we could just come to terms with the fact that we live in, we struggle in, we uh, suffer sometimes in a world that is marred by sin. Okay, and sometimes it helps. So as we look at this list, I think one of the things we want to see is, uh, you know, just that idea that obviously if these things are showing up in our life, we don't want to, we want to say, God, the Holy Spirit, would you reveal these things in my life? I don't want them to be part of my life. But secondly, we understand that they, these things are going to be part of the world in which we live. They're here. 
And, and what the psalmist does is he basically just gripes to God about them for a little bit. I'm, I, I hate seeing these things. Let me show you one other thing that I thought was interesting. I want to go back to those last couple verses that talk about the godlessness. It says, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, all his thoughts, he's thinking this all the time, there is no God. He's always thinking that. And then in the last verse of that section, he says, in his heart, God has, he says in his heart, God has forgotten. Wait a minute. I thought, he, I thought there was no God. Now he's saying God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. You've heard the expression, there's no rest for the wicked. And, you know, we kind of use that, you know, somebody's tired. Yeah, well, no rest for the wicked. But actually, there is no, that rest that the Bible talks about is a peace. They're never going to have peace as long as they're continually fighting the fact that there is a God. Okay? They know there's a God. They were created in the image of God. They live in a world where they see his creation all the time, and they will always know that he is there. So as long as they're still trying, Romans chapter 1 talks about that, and as long as they're still trying to deny it, as long as they're still trying to pretend like there is no God, as long as they are going to continue, let me go back again, as long as they're telling themselves over and over again there is no God, uh, they're going to battle that, they're they're not going to have peace. So this is where the wicked find themselves. Okay, now... Like I said, I didn't want to skip over that, but what I really want to focus on today is this idea of, okay, so we do live in this world that is marred by sin, that is messed up by sin. How do we pray in this world? Well, let's see where this psalm, verse number 12, takes a turn. Okay, he's been saying, God, I don't get it. Okay, the wicked seem to be prospering. Here's all the things they're doing. And now it kind of takes a turn here, and he says, arise, O God. Lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why do the wicked renounce God and say you, do not, uh, you will not call to account? Why do they think they're not going to answer to you? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. And to help and, uh, the helpless, uh, I'm sorry, to you the helpless commits himself. And you have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness into account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his hand. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen his heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. As we look at this passage, okay, let me me review again. Okay, David starts off and he says, God, I, I don't get it. The wicked are winning. It doesn't make any sense. I don't get it, God. I think we've all been there at some time. We've just looked at our lives and said, God, this stinks. Uh, we're, you know, we're not too happy. And he goes through and he lists all the ways that they're prospering. But then in his prayer, uh, and I, I love this idea. I have the phrase here, stop thinking like the wicked. He learned this. If you uh, would notice with me or remember that at the beginning, he says, why, O oh Lord, do you stand afar off? He's saying to God, why are you not here? Why have you hidden yourself? And then when he describes the wicked, he says, they are saying God has forgotten. They are saying God is not seeing. Let me review that again. He started off the psalm by saying, God, it's like you don't see. It's not like you're not even around. And then at the end of his complaint, he he gets to a place where he says, God, the wicked are saying that. In other words, I started off saying exactly what the wicked are saying. Okay, that's that's where I am. And through the process, and I love this, through the process of his prayer, through the process of him crying out to God, God changes him. Okay, G. Campbell Morgan said, allow the Holy Spirit to change your complaint into praise. 
Allow him to change uh, your complaint and your griping into actual worship of God, and he'll do that. And I, I, I don't know, you know, I kind of starred this today in my notes because if there's one thing I'd like you to walk away with, I want, you, I want to encourage you when you're at a place where, hey, it just, just doesn't make sense, Okay. Life is nasty. It just seems to be getting nastier. I, I hate this. I hate living with this. I want to encourage you to exi- just be honest with God. Just pour out your heart. Again, not in audacity, not in God you have no right, but in God I don't get it. I don't understand it because I have watched in my own life numerous times where God has taken those prayers of mine, those honest prayers, that honest communication, and transformed me and changed me in the process. And that's what we see happen with David here. Okay, he goes through the whole thing and God changes and helps him to see that he is thinking like the wicked. Okay? Uh, and, and it transforms his life. Have you ever... You know, you, you have that, that person that you're closest to. By the way, to whom do you vent? To whom do you just tell the truth and pour out your heart? The people that you're closest to, right? But have you ever done that? Have you ever vented? And in the process, you've listened to yourself and said, whoa, <laughs> I'm hearing myself talk. And, uh, and God kind of uses that to correct you. Well, do that in prayer. Okay, do that very thing in prayer. Uh, allow God to take this and, and change, change us around. The second thing that I want to encourage you to do as I read through that passage is move from that, God, I don't understand what you're doing, to trust in him, trusting his eyes, his hands, and his throne. Verse number 14 says the wicked is saying, you don't see, but you do see. I trust that you do see what's going on. Uh, the psalmist also pray, break, break the arms of those, uh, you know, show your power, show your hands. So trust his hands, trust his might, trust his ability to do something and trust the fact that he is king forever. That's what verse 16 says. The Lord is king forever and ever. I want to trust that. Um, this is a repeat illustration. Okay. We'll call it number 16. If those of you have come to church here before, but uh, but actually, it fits perfect on Super Bowl Sunday. I have in my hands right here, this is Road to Super Bowl 40. It's all of the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, postseason wins when on their way to Super Bowl 40. Over here is the Road to Super Bowl 43, all of their postseason wins. These are my favorite DVDs in the world uh, that, that I like to watch. I should, probably should put them on today. Who cares about the Bengals and the uh, Rams? I, I'll just watch that. Hey, what, what Super Bowl are we on right now? What's this here? Ooh, mama. That was, <laughs> that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Uh, well, at least it's DVD, Bears fans, not VHS. Okay. Uh, but um, but any, anyway, <laughs> anyway, I got over this this morning, and uh, there was uh, this, this one right here. This is the divisional playoff game between the Steelers and the Colts. Now, even though this is a long time ago, some of you are going to remember this. This was a classic game. Okay, the Colts, Peyton Manning led, uh, were the best team in the league. I think they'd gone like 16-0, and then they benched their starters and lost their last game. They were by far the favorites. Steelers came out in this game. They came in in Indianapolis, and they dominated them the whole game. But there was a scene at the beginning of the fourth quarter where Peyton Manning, the punt team was coming on, and it was kind of like they given up, they were losing. Peyton Manning waved the punt team back off the field. It was a heroic moment. Uh, and the offense stayed on the field, and they got the first down, and they mounted a, a comeback. And they were coming back, they were coming back, but the, their comeback fell just a little bit short. So the Steelers were perched on the three-yard line going in with a three-point lead and about a minute to play in the game. And I remember what happened, Jerome Bettis, 
I was handed the ball. Instead of just kneeling down, which is all they had to do, the Colts didn't have any time ice left. All they had to do was kneel down, but they decided to hand off the ball to Jerome Bettis, and he fumbled. And the Colts picked up the ball, and they started towards the other end zone. So what was a three-point lead was going to become a four-point deficit. But the world's slowest quarterback in the, in, uh, by the name of Ben Roethlisberger uh, figured out how to get in the way of that guy and trip him up. And he fell. And the Colts still went down and tried a field goal that would have tied the game, an easy one. But Mike Vanderjack missed it. I'm still thankful about that. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, my point is this that I wanted to share with you for a second. I do rewatch these because I'm a very weird man. Uh, but uh, I do rewatch them from time to time. When I first watched that game and I watched Jerome Bettis fumble the ball and the Colts pick it up and start going the other way, I almost lost it. I'm uh, like, no, this is not happening. This, how can you do that? All you had to do was kneel down. This is unbelievable. I mean, I was heartbroken. Literally, there is a man, his family was suing. Uh, I don't think they won, but uh, he had a heart attack during that. <laughs> I'm suing. I shouldn't have handed the ball off. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, it, it was, I, I watched that. I was falling apart. I was you, unbelievable. I can't see it. Now, however, now when I watch it, I, I laugh. It's funny. Uh, that's hilarious. He's going back the other way. You know why I laugh now? I know how it ends. And uh, what the psalmist says there is he says, bottom line is, I know how this ends. Okay? I can trust you in all this. And he gets to that place where he says, I understand that you are the God over everything. I get it. It's nasty now, but I know how this ends. Let's, let me go to a third point here. Uh, just as we Look at this whole idea of how we're navigating, how we're going to pray through difficulty. Uh, you know, when things don't seem to be making sense, I want you to realize that we are going through this with Christ. If you could grab a hold of this, would you realize with me for a second that uh, Jesus knew everything the psalmist was griping about? Did he know about people that were consumed by greed? I seem to remember a story where Jesus did a little furniture rearranging in the temple. You remember that? Because they were consumed with greed. They were taking advantage of poor people. They were taking money from them. And Jesus faced that. And Jesus knew what it was like to watch as the wicked seemed to be winning. Can you see a crowd coming to take him into captivity? Do you know what Jesus said then? He said, this is your hour when darkness reigns. It's a quote from Matthew 22. He said, hey, in other words, you better live it up now. Because you might be winning now but you're not going to win. This is your hour. Yeah, make, make the best of it. Have a good time. This is your hour when darkness reigns. Jesus knew what that was about. He knew what it was like to have them lie in ambush because uh, day by day uh, in the temple, he said to them, day after day, you saw me in the temple, you did nothing, but now at night you come. He knew what it was like to have that enemy. Did he know what it was like even to pray the words why? The word why? Father, why hast thou forsaken me on the cross did he know what it was like to be changed through that prayer because later he said father into thy hands i commend my spirit i'm yours he surrendered through that so as we face this i think we can understand and we can appreciate that we face it with christ uh that he, he had known the same thing so as i you know again i want i want you you know so much to have like a takeaway with this because, and the takeaway is very simple, honest prayer to God. Honest prayer to God. God, this, I don't feel like praying. I don't want to pray. Start your prayer with that sentence. 
God, I really don't want to pray right now. I'm struggling. And allow the Holy Spirit to transform you uh, as you pray. And one more uh, point, and I debated a little bit. I was thinking about this earlier in the week, and I didn't know for sure if I wanted this to be part of the sermon today. But the Lord did something yesterday that I, that I really think I should. I think this fits in context with this, just as I struggle with the whole idea of, hey, why does it seem like wickedness is winning? Um, I used to always, there's a verse in the Bible that says that it rains on the just and the unjust. And I used to always quote that like when uh, difficulty would come. You know, hey, well, hey, it rains on the just and the unjust. It says that right in Ecclesiastes. Well, truth of the matter is, I had that completely wrong. <laughs> First of all, it doesn't say it in Ecclesiastes. Uh, it says it in Matthew. But for some reason, about a week and a half ago, I decided to look up that verse that I'd been quoting all along. You know, I was kind of taking like, case or else, oh, yeah, bad things happen, you know, get like that. But that wasn't what Jesus was saying at all. When Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, his first big sermon, he was talking about the idea of returning evil for evil. And he was saying, don't return evil for evil. People do you wrong, forgive, don't return evil for evil. And then he basically went on to say, I don't return evil for evil. He said, truth is, the sun comes up on the bad people as well as the good people, and it rains. I was thinking rain is bad, but he was saying, I'm sending the rain for both of them. They need the rain for their farm. He says, in other words, I'm giving good to people who don't deserve it. I'm not giving people what they deserve. I'm give he was teaching them how to respond when they were wronged. He said, I'm not giving them what they deserve. Now, that, that really kind of hit me because of that whole idea of how often I have this sense of entitlement, like, God, I deserve better than this. And the reason why I struggle with God a lot of times is I feel that exact way. I really better than this. And I, I thought about that, okay, is that something I want to share today? And in yesterday's devotion, uh, it kind of, it pointed us to the idea of that we're all sinners. It was talking about the sacrifices of the Old Testament and, and the need for the sacrifice, but then uh, went to the New Testament and that the wages of sin is death, and that is really what we have earned. And uh, I don't know if this is a particular popular thing to say, but it really kind of hit me again how much I come to life with a sense of entitlement. And I'm not really saying, hey, if you just lower your expectations, you'd be happy. Uh, I told you that works in our marriage. I always tell my wife that. But uh, the, the truth of the matter is that, that is not the message I'm giving. Hey, just don't expect anything from God. But I am saying we ought to realize that God doesn't give us what we deserve. And if we can hold, hold on to that, if, if we can capture that, what mankind deserves because of the fall is not what we have and, and the goodness that we have. What mankind deserves is, is payment for that. And, I kinda, and that really kind of helped my thinking there too. I don't know, like I said, you know, the journey that I, that I uh, repeat over and over again in my life is, is the journey of Psalm 10, where I start off sometimes and I say, God, I don't get it. Okay, you say, wait a minute, you're kind of old guy. You're still doing that. Yeah, I'm still doing that sometimes. I, I will say, and I think this is just to give you a little hope. I will say, I think I learn it a little faster now. You know what I mean? But I still revert back to that sometimes. God, I don't get what you're doing. But if the most, the biggest encouragement that I wanted to give you in regards to that today is follow David's example in Psalm 10. Pray it. I don't know what you're doing, God. Tell him. Okay, pray out loud the, the things that are in your heart, the things that, that are in your mind, and let the Holy Spirit of God take that. And maybe what the Holy Spirit of God will illuminate something, you know, that you'll say, hey, I'm not thinking right here. 
I'm thinking like the wicked. And maybe he'll highlight that. Maybe he'll just say, hey, wait a minute. I want you to trust me. I want you to realize that, yes, you're right. Right now, the wicked seem to be winning. But you know how this ends, right? You do know that some, yeah, the pastor's right. <laughs> I don't know if God ever says that to you. Uh, the pastor's right. This, this world is not going to be a place of great peace and, and everything like that. But someday, the day comes when Jesus is going to set all that right, and then it will be. I got this. Okay? Figure out how this ends. And the Holy Spirit comes and brings that to us. We're going to close with a song, so I'm going to ask the uh, team to come back up and sing it uh, that, we can, uh, that we can end in worship, worship. But as we do, I want to you know, just encourage you. Maybe, hey, maybe right now there, there's something that while we're singing, you just want to bow your head and say, God, I need to pray like that. I'm not getting this. I, I don't understand. Just an honest prayer to God. You know, crying, crying out to him. Uh, maybe what you, uh, the whole thing that we're talking about here of a relationship with God is something that I'm, I'm speaking a foreign language to you a little bit. I want to tell you, I would love to tell you more about that relationship with God. And we'll be available after service or anytime there. But maybe even right now in your heart, you'd say, God, I don't, I don't get this. I, don't, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to talk to you personally. And Jesus Christ made that possible. He's our high priest. He made a way for man to go to God through faith in what he did on the cross. And he invites us to place our faith in Jesus who died for our sins. Our Father, would you um, take our closing time of worship here? Uh, would you take David's prayer and would you teach us through it? Would you change us through it? Would you make it so that our relationship with you is strengthened? Uh, as we go into the next few days here ahead even, that it would make a difference in our lives, I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269 663 2648. Thank you for listening.